Hello and welcome to Queen V, the life of Queen Victoria. My name is Donnie Hazel and I am your host. If you wish to support this podcast, there will be a link provided for you in the show details and it will be very much appreciated as it goes to help support the cost of maintaining the podcast and our website. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Queen V, the life of of Queen Victoria. And today the newlyweds return to Buckingham Palace. The happy pair are wed. The Queen is anxious to return to London, and Albert, bless him, puts up with a short honeymoon. I do not think it possible for anyone in the world to be happier or as happy as I am. He is an angel, and his kindness and affection for me is really touching. You see, my darling wife, in no time at all we will play as one, with precision and in perfect harmony. Dearest Albert, my angel. Oh, how the days have flown. Tomorrow I must be the sovereign again. So soon. This must be the shortest honeymoon in history. I did tell you in my letters that affairs of state can stop and wait for nothing. It's just as I recall being told that it is usual in England, is it not, for newly married people to stay up to four to six weeks away from town and society. And they seem to make a great point of this. Parliament is sitting. And something occurs almost every day for which I am required. And it is quite impossible for me to be absent from London. Ah, but it might perhaps be a good and delicate action not to depart from this custom altogether and to retire from the public eye for at least a fortnight or a week. Two or three days is already a long time to be absent. Really, my dear. So you would abandon your poor, wretched husband? Oh, no. We will go together to Buckingham Palace. You will be pleased, I know. It has been refurbished and will be quite perfect for us. My angel, we will not be parted. Wherever we are, it will be heaven. It's three months since we were married. February the 10th, 1840 will forever be etched in my memory. My dear wife loves me as much as I love her. I'm quite certain of that. In our home life, where we are uninterrupted by people and affairs of state, we are ecstatically happy and contented. But the difficulty of filling my place with proper dignity is that I am only the husband and not master in the house. Victoria had promised that I would be of assistance to her in her heavy duties, but I find that I am not even allowed to see the contents of the boxes from the various departments of state. I think that completes the business of the day, Lord Melvin. It is remarkable, ma'am, how well-versed you are on the day-to-day running of Parliament. I would venture to say that in some respects it is your finger on the pulse and not mine. Oh, you flatter me, sir. It is only that I am presented with the completed documents and proposals, whereas you are concerned with detail and formulation Mm. and argument. Well, no doubt, ma'am, you enlist the help of Prince Albert in dealing with the mountain of papers. Oh, I know that my dear husband would wish to be more involved. Indeed, he thinks I lack confidence in him, or he could certainly help in the trivial matters and in matters concerned with the politics of the country. I think it would be advisable to show him the papers. 
When we are alone, Lord Melbourne, I prefer talking about other things. <coughs> Quite. Come in. Oh, uh, Your Majesty, forgive me. I um, I had forgotten that you were... Lord Melbourne and I are nearly at an end. Are those the accounts, Lateson? Yes, ma'am. You will see that every bill is signed by me and verified by Sir Henry Wheatley. Thank you. And uh, does Prince Albert verify the accounts, Baroness? Well, one would not want to concern the Prince about anything so trivial as household expenses. Oh, I think that Lord Melbourne would disagree, judging by his expression. I will leave the two of you to discuss the matter. Good morning, my dear friend. Ma'am. Household accounts have always been my responsibility, my lord. One that you take seriously. Indeed I do, as with all the other tasks to which I am entrusted. Your greatest responsibility, of course, was standing between the Princess Victoria and her mother. And in the circumstances, you were justified in doing so. Thank you. However, it would be ill-advised to stand between husband and wife. You do understand, I hope. I share a very personal and long-standing relationship with Her Majesty. All the more reason to stand off, as it were. You see, my dear Baroness, you would only draw down ruin on yourself and entail misery on her you profess to be devoted to. If you would excuse me, Lord Melbourne, I find this conversation both tiresome and unnecessary. Stubborn woman. It is quite remarkable how one's life can change so dramatically for the better. In the space of a few short months, I have managed to please both Parliament and the public. I was cheered in Birmingham, where I gave my first public address as President of the Anti-Slavery Society. Victoria and I were applauded at the opera. Indeed, it now seems the fashion to praise me. A bill has been passed in Parliament which makes me Prince Regent, something my dear wife had wished for and which pleases me more than I can say. But to save the best until last, we will soon be a complete family. Our first baby is expected any day. I believe with all my heart that our marriage will be firmly anchored by this event. Victoria will need my help to fulfill her duties and the deceitful Lateson will fade into the background. No! No! Splendid, perfectly splendid, Your Majesty. My angel, we have our first child. Oh, Albert, is it a boy? We, we have a daughter, and she is beautiful. Oh, no. I was certain it would be a boy. Certain. A healthy child, Your Majesty. Take her into the anteroom. She has to be inspected by the cabinet and the bishops. Then, Ma'am, Mrs. Lily will wrap her in a shawl so that you can hold her. Are you disappointed, my love? No, only a very, very little. The country will have wanted an heir. And then the country must wait. Our next child will be a prince. And we will name our first boy after my beloved Uncle Leopold. You have lain on the sofa long enough, my sweet bird. Put your arms around my neck. Proper rest will restore your strength. 
You think the baby's quite pretty, don't you? <laughs> a pussycat. More a frog. Oh. <laughs> that terrible frog-like action. <laughs> All babies move in that way. Then she will grow out of it, I suppose. Our little Victoria Adelaide, Mary Louisa. We should call her Vicky, perhaps, to avoid confusion. Mm. Shall I wrap your shoulders in a shawl, my love? I have today written this memorandum. It expresses my love and gratitude towards my beloved Albert. November 1840. The prince's care and devotion were quite beyond expression. He refused to go to the play or anywhere else, generally dining alone with the Duchess of Kent. He was content to sit by the Queen in a darkened room, to read to her or write for her. No one but himself ever lifted her from her bed to the sofa, and he always helped to wheel her on her bed or sofa into the next room. For this purpose, he would come when sent for instantly from any part of the house. His care of her was like that of a mother, nor could there be a kinder, wiser, or more judicious nurse. <laughs> You may open your eyes. You too, Mr. Hanson. <gasps> oh, I've never seen such a beautiful sight. It is quite wonderful. We searched the Great Windsor Park and beyond for the finest tree. It has taken two days to decorate. Candles. Oh, my dear Albert, I have never seen candles in a tree. <laughs> and a star. Oh, Vicky would love this if she were just a little older. <coughs> Take the baby to the nursery. She must be kept quite warm. Yes, Your Majesty. And you too, my love. You must rest. You promised that you would if we came here for Christmas. See how readily I obey my husband. Won't you come too? I want to supervise the dressing of Holly and Ivy. I want it to be perfect for you. Uh, the largest boughs need to be suspended from the cornices. The ivy in loops, I think. Mr. Anson, what do you think? Magnificent. It is the way we do things in Germany. And my dear wife approves. How could Her Majesty fail to appreciate such beauty? You seem content, Your Royal Highness. Indeed, I am. Yesterday, the Queen gave me the keys to the cabinet boxes. I am at last to be consulted on the affairs of Parliament. It is as it should be. I'm delighted, sir. Nothing but good can come of Her Majesty's action. It shows her complete confidence in your understanding of this country's political and social structure. Lord Melbourne will be pleased. He has wanted this. I do believe it was the Queen's confinement. As you could see, I was eager to help her in any way. It was a gradual letting go, I think. You need to trail the ivy to the upper branches of the tree. It will give it focus. There is still the problem of Baroness Leighton, Your Royal Highness. She has to go. Whilst I was away, I gather she meddled and made mischief whenever she had the opportunity. She complained about me constantly. The Queen is devoted to her, so it is going to be difficult to remove the Baroness. Then we will always be subject to troubled waters. And indeed, as the months pass, the Baroness interferes more and more, to the extent that Victoria and I had our first quarrel and exchange bitter letters. This is most unsatisfactory, as my beloved wife is again pregnant with our second child. To make matters even worse, the government has fallen and Lord Melbourne is no longer Prime Minister. This distresses Victoria, as they had been so close for so many years. 
As ever, she has welcomed Sir Robert Peel with the warmth and courtesy expected of her. My dear Uncle Leopold, I am going for a drive this morning, and am certain it will do me good. In all essentials, I am better, if possible, than last year. Our little boy is a wonderfully strong and large child, with very dark blue eyes, a finely formed but somewhat large nose, and a pretty little mouth. I hope and pray he may be like his dearest papa. He is to be called Albert, and Edward is to be his second name. Pussy, dear child, is still the great pet amongst us all, and is getting fat and strong again. She is not at all pleased with her brother. They are always together, my wife and the despised Lidson. Victoria knows my feelings, but chooses to ignore them. But I do think, Mum, that the revenues from the Duchy of Cornwall should pass straight to me for nursery expenses rather than through Mr. Anson. It would cause friction, my dear Letson. I am of the opinion that we should let things be. As you wish, Mum. Go now to the nursery. The prince awaits. Yes, Mum. My dear Albert, you work too hard. There is much to do. You were with the Baroness? Please. I cannot continue this argument. She has been my friend and ally for too many years. And regards herself too highly. The woman is a crazy, stupid intriguer, obsessed with the lust for power. Oh, please. I am not well enough for this. And I'm too worried about the children. Vicky is not thriving anymore and the baby... Victoria, they are too much under her influence. I cannot listen to any more. I will sacrifice my own comfort, my life's happiness for my beloved Victoria. Indeed, I would die fighting for her existence as sovereign and for the welfare of my children. I will not yield them as prey to Leitzen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queen Bee. The Life of Queen Victoria. Remember, if you would like to support this podcast, you can look in the show description notes to find a link. Thank you, and have a great day.